Greetings, my friends, and welcome to Hardwater Radio. This is Jason Archer. We're recording under the umbrella of Hardwater One here in the Valley of the Sun. And today we continue the mission to arm humans with the tools to crush mediocrity, create mastery, and live in total wellness. In a little bit different way, we've got a, uh, a little bit of a special episode coming up, I guess you'd say. This episode is actually going to drop on Christmas Day uh, tomorrow. So I'm sitting here across the table from Wifey. Say hello, baby. Hi. So that's Christina, for those of you guys who don't know her. And um, we're sitting here having some bourbon, sipping bourbon. It's not bourbon. It's whiskey. I'm sorry. It's whiskey. It can only be called bourbon if it's from Kentucky. Okay. You want to explain that? I just did. <laughs> this is Crown Royal Canadian whiskey. And the, Yes, but the backstory behind that is you are a food and beverage director, and you're very knowledgeable when it comes to whiskey and wine and all the rest of it maybe maybe i know a few things <laughs> you know a few things I know a few things you know where all the bodies are buried tell the truth maybe so okay so it's whiskey this is whiskey canadian whiskey because it's not from kentucky mm-hmm. right just like it can't be called champagne if it's not from the champagne region of france right gotcha all right awesome well i apologize for my faux pas how dare i screw it up but anyway, so we're sitting here, we're drinking whiskey and Coke, whiskey and Crown, or I guess the whiskey is Crown, Crown Royal. It's Crown and Ginger. That's Crown. You're drinking Crown and Ginger. And it's got to be Canadian dry. Yeah. You're drinking Crown and Ginger and I'm drinking Crown and Coke. And this has kind of become a Christmas tradition for us. Christmas tradition. <laughs> and our new fancy glasses. And our, yeah, the new fancy glasses that y- you gave yourself for Christmas. It was a gift for both of us. Oh, that's so sweet. You're enjoying the glass right now. You know, I would drink it out of a paper cup, though. Wouldn't taste as good. Wouldn't taste as good. Why not? Because that's a paper cup. <laughs> you would taste the chemicals in the, the paper. Right, right. So we've been out playing around earlier. We went for a drive, went out to see some uh, Christmas lights, just uh, took in the sights, did a little lap around Phoenix. Uh, we're up here in Anthem, which is on the very north edge of town. Came home. No kids running around through the house, so we don't have to play Santa Claus or play that game. And so here we are, just uh, enjoying the fireplace. We got the fire going. We're sitting across from the tree in the kitchen here, sipping on a little whiskey and uh, just sharing a moment together. So I thought we'd talk a little bit about the holidays. Uh, This is one of those times of year that, you know, either means a lot to someone or doesn't really mean much at all. There's not really too many people in the middle. And, uh, I know that when I was growing up, it was always a, a big thing. Christmas was a big thing, especially for kids, because, you know, we spent most of the year, I grew up in a family that, quote unquote, didn't have money. You know, only other people had money and things and that sort of thing. And around Christmas time, it was our turn to get like a big gift, right? So if the parents would spend, you know, several hundred bucks on you and, you know, it might be, you might get one massive gift and then a bunch of smaller gifts and, it was always a big deal because you waited all year, you know, for that bicycle or whatever the thing was that you wanted. And uh, mom and dad never disappointed, you know, as as crazy as it was growing up, you know, they they really went all out uh, in, in and around Christmas to make sure that me and my brother had really cool things and a good experience. And um, it was fun. You know, looking back on it now, I can I remember how much fun it was watching them watch us. You know, like, you know how it is when you give someone a gift and you feel really good when they like it, you know, and I I think back on that now and I I just remember, you know, how joyful they were that they could do that for us. And that was just such a beautiful thing. How about you? When you were growing up, did you guys do much Christmas stuff? It was my family always centered around what the food tradition was of the day. Christmas Eve, um, it was a big the big tradition was seafood, so we would always have a big seafood feast, and then my do- my mom would always cook a steak for the dog, and everyone else would have seafood. The dog got a steak. Yeah, the dog got a steak <laughs> until you came around, and, and then, then the, dog the dog got a steak, and you got a steak because yeah. you don't eat seafood. So um, we would normally open all our gifts on Christmas Eve at home, and a lot of the times those gifts were envelopes of cash, which is what... I was always looking forward to so that we could uh, take that cash then the very next day on uh, Boxing Day and go shopping. Nice. So um, Boxing Day, 
I'm just looking it up right now. I think I have a theory on what it is. You have a theory. I have a theory. I'm not exactly sure. But well, we, don't, we don't have Boxing Day here, right? So um, I always wondered what the history of it was. Well, what it's become is, you know, a massive commercial shopping day. You know, the big sales, especially at the electronic stores where, you know, people are camping out late at, you know, early, early in the morning and they're, you know, waiting to get in and get their deal on their brand new TV. So it's like Canada's version of Black Friday. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, a lot of people in the States don't know this, but Canada celebrates Thanksgiving in October, second Monday in October. So for us, when we, when our relationship was cross border, when you were there and I was here going back and forth, a lot of times, you know, we had the opportunity to do Thanksgiving twice, you know, once there, once here. And the only difference too is that Canadians are just much more polite. So (laughs) they'll wait in line and they'll, you know, they won't push in and there won't be any fist fights happening in any store. That's for sure. No, just a bunch of people saying, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. 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 Oh, sorry. Sorry. You wanted that? Sorry. (laughs) All right. So I looked it up. I I had, I did my research. I I had the guys pull it up here on the, uh, on the old interwebs. So Boxing Day came from Britain, obviously. So for those of you guys who don't know a lot about Canada, which is most North Americans, you guys, Americans. Yeah. You don't, you don't even know there's a country there, but there's a country there. It's called Canada. And, uh, they were at one point tied to the crown, meaning they were tied to Great Britain, the monarchy. And so they still have some ties, but they're not run by Britain anymore. But they inherited a lot of the traditions. So Boxing Day came from Europe. The a British tradition, it says, a Christmas box in Britain is a name for a Christmas present. Boxing Day was traditionally a day off for servants and the day when they received a Christmas box from the master. The servants would also go home on Boxing Day to give Christmas boxes to their families. So the name is a reference also to charity drives. So I think my original thought was that after you celebrated your Christmas, you would then box up some stuff and put it out for other people, which I guess derived from this whole servant master relationship thing. Right. Interesting. And how did it turn into the biggest sales of the year? Well, I mean, come on. Anytime retail has an opportunity to sell something, right? Like, I mean, think of a, can you think of a single holiday when retail doesn't have something going on to sell some shit? Right. Well, there's Valentine's stuff already up at Walmart. Is it really? It's it's Christmas Eve and there's Valentine's stuff up. You're kidding. No. Really? I was in the dollar store too and same thing. There wasn't, today I had to go in and pick up some red napkins and all, all the, almost all the Christmas stuff was gone and there was a whole wall of Valentine's. Really? That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I guess you got to get an early jump, right? Yeah. Plant that seed so people know where to shop. Yeah, it's crazy. We were out, like I said earlier, riding around and Walmart was actually closed. They closed at six today, but Target was open mm-hmm. in the city. So we stopped in, in there and there was quite a few people still shopping at what was that, like eight thirty, nine o'clock, something like that. Yeah, it was around 8.30. Was it? Yeah, I was amazed at how many people were still out and about. This is one of the things that's really strange for me, coming from a small town in rural Georgia, right? Like, everything shuts down for Christmas. You know, of course, you're part of the Bible Belt there, and, you know, Christian uh, Christians, Christianity, obviously the, you know, uh, Christianity or Catholicism, the two primary religions that you have there, and of course, both of those traditions celebrate Christmas, and it's all about the birth of Christ and all of that tradition and, you know, doing a mass or doing like a special service around, you know, uh, Christmas if you're a Protestant. And so everything would shut down when I was a kid. I know it's not the same anymore, but as much as I hated that when I was a kid, like there was nothing to do, like literally nothing to do. On Christmas Eve, everything shut down at like lunchtime, and then everything was shut down all day Christmas Day. And then, you know, the day after Christmas, things would start to reopen and there was literally no place to go. So, and you had to be with your family, right? So if you liked your family and you had a lot to do with them, it was, it was great. But if you had some of those, you know, stressful relationships where you're putting on the, you know, the mask so that everyone gets along, 
<laughs> it was funny because you could start to see, you know, cracks and people start to evolve. They're like, all right, I've had enough of this idiot over here. <laughs> you know, that's enough from that dude. Well, was the movie theater open? Because the movie theaters seem to always be open at Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> if anything was open, it was definitely the theaters. They would stay open later or open up earlier for like matinees because they knew, you know, kids would be out and about and stuff like that. But this was like right at the advent of mall culture right back in the 80s. And it, I don't think it had reached, you know, small town USA like it had in some of the larger cities. Right. So, I mean, I don't even think we had a, our first mall until, you know, shit, I was probably close to high school age by that time, you know, when that when that whole thing was going on. Right. But it, there was a certain beauty of, around it as well. You know, there was a certain reverence and respect that came with the holiday. And I think that's one of the reasons it's so deeply ingrained in me uh, that this is such a great time of the year because it, it almost forces you to stop and slow down. And then, you know, as a kid, I didn't really appreciate that because I didn't really have any obligations or responsibilities, you know, no job to go to kind of a thing. But now, you know, with a business, you know, a marriage, you've got a job, you know, the whole nine, like uh, taking care of our rental properties, you know, whatever the thing is that I've that I've got going on, writing content, you know, recording this podcast, for example, you know, all of this stuff that we fill up our calendar with, it's so nice to just know that when this day rolls around that everyone is at least slowing down if they're not stopping, you know? Right. I think my favorite part about the Christmas holidays is I I feel as though everyone's more kind and happy and uh, spreading good cheer. And that sounds cheesy, but it's true. You know, you go to the store and People are saying Merry Christmas and, you know, helping each other out and smiling and just engaging more. And uh, I, that's what I love about about it. It's the simple little human connections that happen leading up to Christmas and then especially, you know, in the days just before and just after Christmas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was your, if you can remember back, what was your most favorite Christmas ever? Do you have one in memory somewhere? Is there one that stands out? Mm, it's a tough one. Yeah. I think if I were to pick, you know, Christmas, I remember several Christmases at, at home. We had a a store called Consumers Distributing. (laughs) I don't know if that was in the U.S. or not. I'm not familiar with it. It was literally like the physical store, like a physical online store where there was no store front or retail space to display anything. There was a catalog and you would go through the catalog and then you'd go online and there would be a counter and you'd say, I want this item number. And they would go to the back warehouse, pull the item and give it to you at the counter. Really? And I loved going to that store and it was right across the street from where my mom's restaurant was. And so that's also why I love to have cash for Christmas because then I would, you know, pick from the catalog, go to the store, wait in the line. There's stanchions and you kind of waited in line and they had everything, toys, electronics, all sorts of things. And I just remember loving having the ability to go and purchase something for myself, you know, and pick something out and get it. Yeah. You know, I uh, had a lot of joy with that. So is that store still around? No, that store went went under a long time ago. Hmm. It's a very smart business model, though. I mean, there's, you know, right now with the retail, you have everything, you know, you have everything out. You have to take up so much space. And, I mean, you, you think you could have this little space where you can go in. I mean, now Amazon and you just go online and it shows up at your door. So there's really no effort. So, <laughs> but... um. I always remember consumers just reading around Christmas time. That was where I got my Cabbage Patch doll and, <laughs> <laughs> and other things. Um, just being at home with family and all of the food traditions. There were certain foods that we ate on certain days and oh, yeah. cookies. And um, Christmas Eve was always my favorite because it was a, a massive seafood feast that my mom would make. Why is that? Why is Christmas Eve seafood? It comes, uh, it's comes with the, you know, Catholic religion, really, um, not, you know, not eating meat. 
So you're just like Good Friday. You eat you eat just fish. You're not supposed to eat meat. So um, yeah, but that's, that's like Easter, though, from. right? Like that's all. When you're talking about Good Friday, you're talking about like the resurrection of Christ, right? Easter right. and all of that. Yeah, and so it's um, it's all related to that. A lot of Italians have that same, you know, follow that same tradition, and it stems from the religion. So we, um, my mom had access to amazing, you know, seafood, especially because she had uh, her restaurant for 30 years, and she actually kept her account open with uh, a, a fish seafood provider that provided for restaurants and she got like amazing quality. So we would have calamari and scampi and jumbo shrimp and bacala, which is like a salt cured fish. And she would, you know, do linguine and clams and she would always make her special bread. And we would just, it was all about eating. Like I remember you know, when we got older, it was like, okay, like, don't eat anything today. You starve yourself all day so that when you get to mom's house, you know, we can eat eat everything that we want. <laughs> I don't think anyone in your family's ever starved themselves. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that's probably true. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, yeah. So, that was, so that's been going on forever, though, then. Mm-hmm. So, because since I met you in, I met you in 09, mm-hmm. and then I came up there for Christmas in... That same year. Yeah. Yeah, that same year. And that was going on then. So we had the seafood night. I remember that. Right. But you didn't eat seafood. My mom made you a steak. Yeah, your mom took care of me. She she hooked me up with some she steak. She made you a steak because she had, she always made a steak for the dog. <laughs> a big juicy steak. So she had an extra steak for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was amazing because she cooked it on the fireplace in the house. Do you remember that? Yeah, the little grill. My dad made this little grill. So and, Italian, uh, man. Put it right over the flame. And we used to have a lot of meat cooked right right in the open fire yeah. in, in the fireplace. Yeah. That and chestnuts. I um, I miss the chestnuts because my parents would have this special pan. It had holes in it. And you put the chestnuts on it and you just roast them off in the open flame and it was delicious. Just like the song. Yeah, chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Not bad, not bad. I I like it. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize before I met you that chestnuts were such an Italian thing. Oh, man. That's like huge though, right? Like they have chestnut, chestnut flour, all kinds of stuff, yeah. The traditional gnocchi is made with chestnut flour. Oh, is it really? Yeah, it's added in there. I thought it was potato. It's potato, flour, and chestnut. It's usually added. Okay. Um, In Calabria, where my... My family's from, my mom has land there still, and it's just filled with olive trees, walnut trees, chestnut trees. Um, you know, the chestnut trees now, they just haven't been taken care of. The, the land is not being tended to. So when I was there, I guess that was, has it been two years now? Two years yeah, ago? Yeah, about two years. Yeah. It was, um, it was it was neat to walk through there. We went hiking. We actually went mushroom picking through that area. And there was a bunch of chestnuts that were falling from the trees. And it was, um, you know, it was cool to pick them up and they're kind of a pain in the ass to clean and eat, but eating a fresh chestnut off a tree was pretty cool. Very tasty. Yeah, for sure. But the trees are beautiful. They're huge. I mean, when I finally get, to take you there and we go through there, you'll be amazed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm excited to go see that stuff. I love the history around, you know, just the growth and development of an area and that town that you're referring to in Calabria, which is Southern Italy from what I understand, um, on the, basically on the seaside of the mountain range, right? You're closest to the seaside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Calabria's all along the mountain, along the mountains, in the mountains yeah. and in, on the sea. Right. And it's a short drive down to the shore, but you're up on the hills. And then that town basically mudslided away. Well, Calabria is a region in right, Italy. But, yeah. And I'm the town about where my family's from. Cavallarizzo. Cavallarizzo, where yeah. my parents are from. Right. Yeah, there was a mudslide. And but your and your mom's land is, is in the town there or it's no, in Calabria? Like it's in outside. The mountains. Okay. So the town is in one section and then you have to, you know, 
take a ride to get to the farmland, which is in the mountains. Okay. I got you. Yeah, I was confused about that when she was first talking about it. I didn't understand that that because the house that they originally had was in the town, right? Like everything was in the town, wasn't it? Yeah, they had a house in the little town, but none of the farmland was in the town. You had to walk. So they traveled you know, to they the farmland. H- hike to the farmland with donkey. Right. And <laughs> yeah. uh, they didn't even have a car back That's then. That's crazy. You know. Yeah, it's such a different, such a different way of of life, right? Yeah, it was amazing when my uncle took me in his tiny little Fiat. That's why those little Fiats are four-wheel drive, because they're built basically to be in those small little villages, and you're on a mountain. A lot of these towns are, you know, it's amazing that they even decided, oh, here's a cliff, let's put a house here. (laughs) And the roads are tiny, so you need a tiny vehicle. If we had our Jeeps, they wouldn't even fit in most roads. Really? Um, especially the way you've jacked up your tires and stuff. Like you couldn't even get anywhere. Um, so he's got this tiny little Fiat and it's all wheel drive and we're riding in through the, through the woods and in the mountains and going all sorts of places. And it, it's pretty cool. That's uh it's a really beautiful and amazing place mm-hmm. and really not many people down there. No, none at all. Right. I mean, well, I can't speak firsthand, but there is, there's actually video of the town before and after the mudslide online. If you guys are interested in looking up Cavalarizzo, um in southern Italy in the Calabria region, you can actually see the town before. And there's like two or three holdouts that are still living in the old town because mm-hmm. the government relocated everyone, right? They, they built a new town and relocated people. But there's yeah. a couple of people holding out in the old town with no electricity. They got generators. They got so generators, <laughs> yeah. Somehow they have water. Um when my aunt and I went to visit the town, we actually stopped and visited with the few folks that were still living there. Did you? Did what were they? What were they? Uh, uh, did they talk about why they chose to stay? Or that was home. I mean, for hundreds of years, that's been home. I mean, the town was eight hundred years old. Oh, so really? Wow. Generation after generation lived in that town. Mm-hmm. So you know, they weren't about to get up and leave. That was their home, and. The town that the government, there's a lot of corruption down there in the South. And, you know, the government, the the people running the government blew a lot of money, I'm sure, because the town that was recreated is not as beautiful and quaint as, you know, the old town had these beautiful cobblestone roads and slate roads and old, you know, old buildings that you could, you could never even recreate. And they just, you know, down in the valley, just plopped down a bunch of white apartment buildings, basically, and said, okay, this is your home. Yeah, they don't look like they should be there. And the other thing was, a lot of people didn't register their home, so they didn't have to pay taxes. They just, like, over the years, inherited, you know, the land and the homes. But if they, you know, if nobody in the family had, ever, you know, gone to the government and registered it, then when that happened, then it was like, wasn't registered, you get nothing, mm-hmm. basically. So there were people who had, you know, homes and land in the old town, and then now they were given nothing. So they basically either had to walk away from everything and start from scratch somewhere, or they buy a generator and they stay in the same home. <laughs> or I'm not sure if that was the scenario with those people. That stayed back, but um, could see how it would be tough. It was sad um, yeah. to see my aunt and see her, you know, walk through the town. And it was sad for me because I had spent many summers in that village, you know, kissed my first boy boyfriend and did all sorts of <laughs> got to know my cousins and learn Italian. And um, so it was it was sad to to see just a deserted town. Yeah, for sure. Your parents are really interesting people. They, they have such a crazy dynamic. And, uh, you know, spending some time with them, I can tell that, you know, when they grew up, they didn't have a whole lot, right? Everything that they had, they either grew it or they made it. You know, if they bought something, it was kind of out of the ordinary, right? The same thing for my grandparents um, growing up in the, in the rural South. But um, did they ever talk to you about the holidays that they would celebrate when they were growing up? Did they celebrate Christmas and, and all of that kind of thing or no? They would celebrate. It was very religious. It, it was church was involved, and 
um, and then food. So well, whatever the food tradition was, mm-hmm. um, they were, you know, eating food and family getting together. And that was the celebration. You know, there wasn't a lot of gifts and all that sort of thing for them. That's for sure. It was more about sticking together as family. And, um, you know, my parents, my dad had moved to England and my mom was only 18, 17, 18 when she left the town to be with my dad. And um, they had their arranged marriage and basically, um, you know, so she was out of there. But she was uh, she was really connected to the land. She was a big time in in the farming and taking care of learning all that sort of thing. She loved to to do that kind of work. She was actually did didn't go to school after I think it was grade two, and she basically was the working hand. Right when most of her other sisters all went to school all the way through university, and everyone else um, besides her eldest sister all went to university, all met their love and got married. And um, it was interesting that my mom and she, she was, she was the, the only fourth. one that was arranged. She was arranged and my, um, and her eldest sister, my aunt um, Vicky, she was arranged. Yeah. Cause I remember talking to your mom when I was up there visiting to do, to run that Spartan race. I spent every day with your mom. Your mom was always making me food. Every time I walked in the door, you hungry, you know, <laughs> you, you got to eat. No, no, I'm good. No, you need to eat, you know. And uh, so I would go sit with her and she would, and I would ask her questions about her upbringing. And I think she told me that her, even though her marriage was quote unquote, unquote arranged, like they never had a ceremony. They just, no. Actually, my dad, my dad was too cheap to fly <laughs> yeah. to Italy for the wedding. So, so he wasn't even at his own wedding. No, it was actually his brother that stood in for him. It's <laughs> <That's> amazing. <laughs> so and she actually ma- married my dad's brother, like <laughs> physically. But on paper, it was my dad. Yeah. yeah it was expensive then back then to travel, but, you know, he really, like you're getting married. Right, it's marriage, yeah. It's a big deal. So then when she went to England to be with him, they put on their wedding clothes and then they took wedding photos. Yes. <laughs> and that's the wedding photos. And that. they never bought the photos because they were too expensive. So they only kept the samples. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. kind of crazy. That's so awesome, man. Too funny. It, you know, it, it's, it's kind of interesting, but in the same way, like I think people who come from, like your parents come from a rural area, right? It's like my parents come from a rural area and it, and even though it sounds very strange when you when you set the context out in Italy versus like you know the rural south it really wasn't that much different you know when when my parents were were growing up like they were lucky to have any gifts at all you know for christmas it wasn't about that it was about food and it was about family and that was it you know and the religious the religious aspect of it of course they they spent a lot of time at church mm-hmm. and they had their friends and their you know their interaction in communion and fellowship at the church. But when it came to like all of the materialization that we have today, that didn't exist. Mm-hmm. You know, they worked the farms, they worked in the fields and they lived near their family. Right. Like, um, and I drove you past the the house that my parents grew up in. Actually, both of them grew up in. I drove you past both places when we went to Lake Hartwell the first time. Mm-hmm. And that little area where my dad grew up, they literally called it Stricklandville because my grandmother's uh, maiden name was Strickland and all the Stricklands lived there. Mm-hmm. Right? So they had land and her brother and sister lived literally across the street and next door. And so that was Stricklandville, all of that acreage, you know. And, um, you know, thinking back on that and thinking where they came from, it was literally the same. And you know, my dad would get one, maybe two pairs of shoes a year if they were lucky. You know, my mom, same way. Didn't matter if you wore them out, you still had to wear them kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of insane the way it's gone nowadays when we look at Christmas and we think about stuff, stuff, stuff. And really, it's just, it should, I think, be about coming together as people and just, you know, enjoying one another. Right. Yeah. It was just the thing that we're doing right now. Like, I just enjoy tonight with you just being in your in your presence, like just spending my energy with your energy. It, was, it felt great. And, you know, we're going to, we have a couple little presents under the tree that we're going to go through once uh, the clock strikes midnight. 
What is midnight? It's 1210. Oh, is it after? Okay, so it's Christmas Day, technically. Santa is... Santa is uh, trying to, to squeeze through our gas fireplace yeah. to get to the tree. Cheers. <laughs> cheers, yeah. We got a cheers, sir. Do we need to refresh your drink there? You doing oh. good? I think I'm doing good. Yeah? We don't need to need to top you up there? I can wait. You can wait? Mm-hmm. Cool deal. It's tasty, though. Yeah, it is. It is. This is something that we could never do in, in my parents' house. Actually, this reminds me of a Christmas back in the day because my parents were very religious. <clears throat> so alcohol was never allowed in the house. Except for when I showed up. Except for when you showed up, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you like walk in like, with wine. Oh, I was been drinking alcohol since a very young age. Wine <laughs> with every meal. Yeah. Growing up, my parents uh, let me drink at a young age. Mm-hmm. Of course. Heck, I was a bartender when I was 14. Wasn't even At legal. your mom's restaurant? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, making those tips. Mm-hmm. Making them money. Making that money. Yeah. For sure. But yes, yeah, so that was, go ahead, sorry. I was going to say, that's that's also part of, you know, Christmas time was sometimes stressful as well because it was always so busy leading to Christmas with the restaurant and having to work all the time. And then that week in between Christmas and New Year's and then New Year's, there was always a big, you know, lots of reservations. And I always had to work those days. There was... You know, it was frustrating because I was young and I wanted to go to New Year's parties, but I would always work first and then take off and show up to the party late. And um, most times I would ring in the New Year at midnight and make it in time. Mm-hmm. However, I always had to, you know, serve or bartend or work at the restaurant. And um, and it was always cash that, you know, was the greatest at the end of the night. I would always, you know, show up with wads of cash. My wife loves cash, ladies and oh, gentlemen. Oh man, cash is the best. Cash is king. But when you're work, when you work for, and you get all these tips and you have all this cash, it's just it's awesome to be able to go out and you know pay in cash. And um, there was a reward. You know, it was a lot of hard work, and there was a lot of times when I never wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. But um, you know. A, my mom was just loved what she did and I don't think she ever saw it as work. Right. You know, and um it would be Christmas Eve and normally we would have Christmas Eve at the restaurant. Oh, as a family you would? As a family we'd always eat okay. at the restaurant. And then Christmas Day was always at home and we always loved Christmas Day because mom would be at home cooking versus at the restaurant. Oh, we gotta go to the restaurant. Um, you know, there there's days we you know, on Christmas Eve and we would bring the dog to the restaurant. Um, we'd close, you know, we'd lock the door and we'd always be wanting to lock the door as soon as we could so that we could have our mom, you know, and our family without having to serve customers. And every uh, other year there would be someone that would come knocking on the window and there was an opportunity to make some cash. So my mom was like, I'll just cook for them. And she would welcome them in and make dinner for, you know, people who were looking mm-hmm. for food on Christmas Eve. And a part of that, I mean, I think it's really great. It's my mom's nature. And, um, you know, I see the value in it now. But when you're young and you want to be with your family and just have your dinner, and then Christmas Eve was the night we would always open the gifts or exchange or get the envelopes of cash. And right. we would want to close up. Um, we'd prep the turkey at the restaurant and then we'd, you know, stock up my dad's truck with all the food, drive home, you know, um, put it in the fridge and then we would have, um, you know, we would sit by the tree and open up gifts and right. that was basically most of my childhood. Nice. It was the same way every year until your mom sold the restaurant, I guess. Right. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, your mom loves, loves to cook food for people, man. She just loves it. And I could see her totally lighting up if she had the opportunity to, you know, make someone happy with a meal. I mean, she still is that way, I believe. Right. And she, you know, she really, that's her gift, you know, and I think she passed a lot of that gift to you. Mm -hmm. I think you're, I think you have a lot of that inside you. And maybe that stems from, you know, you understanding, you know, where she's coming from spending so much time with her at the restaurant and seeing how many people she made happy. Well, it's just joyful. I, I can see the joy. That's the, 
the way my mom knows how to show her love, mm-hmm. you know, is through preparing food. It's how it's what she understands and what she knows. Right. Um, you know, she'll just like she wanted to take care of you, but that's just how how love was shared in our home. It wasn't verbal. It was it was through the kitchen, really. Yeah, but and also too, like when you come from an environment when you're young where having the ability to eat regularly is a big deal. You know, like that's a sign of wealth. If like you can eat regularly or if you can eat expensive foods or rare foods or protein or whatever at every meal, right? Like that was a big deal. And so in a way I think there's, you know, I think it it creates joy, but also there's a certain amount of status associated with that, right? Like being able to feed someone because when, because your mom, I mean, it's just your dad and, and your mom in the house right now. And when she goes shopping, like, you know, she'll buy, you know, a quarter of a, of a cow and butcher it at home, you know, something like that. Well, she, um, the one thing I loved about my mom too, she would, she'll say, um, I'll say, you know, I might be craving something or I was like, Oh, I haven't had that in a long time. And sure enough, like I'll show up the next day or I'll be around and she'll, she'll have gone out and got whatever she needed and made that she would always take mental note. Oh, you want to have some homemade macaroni? Uh, and boom, like she'll make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that <laughs> yes, was her way of, you know, showing her love. And I, I enjoy that. I love that. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It's, uh, it was interesting though, when we, uh, when we got married, like when I started visiting you and staying, you know, th- three, four, five, six months in Canada at a time. And, you know, your parents would just stop by the house and let themselves in mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, it's like, oh, I made this or I made that or I made, you know, fresh bread or I made pizza and, and they would just walk in the house and like deliver it. And, you know, I'm in there, I'm in the house working. I'm like, who the hell is walking into the house? You know, <laughs> and then I had to have a conversation. I'm like, Hey, you know, got to set some boundaries here, you know? And then it was, it was weird because I think, you know, they started like knocking on the door, but then they would still let themselves in. (laughs) Welcome to the family. (laughs) That was funny. It's the Italian way. Yeah, for sure. If you're an Italian, you would totally understand that. Oh yeah. Is that, that what it is? Oh yeah. Family is just a family. Has your, has your guy on Facebook that does all the Italian spoofs, has he done that one yet? Uh, He hasn't done a spoof on that, but I'm sure he totally can relate. (laughs) You should you should message him and and uh, and tell him to do that one. <laughs> There's this guy on Facebook that spoofs all the uh, like stereotypical Italian experiences, and and Christina, man, you just love those things. It's so funny. I'll come to bed and you'll sit there, you'll be watching him and just giggling to yourself. You have to be Italian, and he's Calabrese too, so I get even more of his jokes because the same part of Italy we're from. Yeah. Do you know what do you know what his name is on Facebook? Anthony Rodia Comedy. Anthony Rodia Comedy. He's from New York or that area. Yeah. So guys, check him out if you're interested in some Italian comedy. It's pretty funny. <laughs> he does the videos and he does the uh, Snapchat filter that makes your face look like it's kind of compressed with the big eyes and the big lips and the and the big mouth. And so he plays these different characters and acts out all these different stereotypical sorts of Italian scenarios. It's his Zia Lucia and Uncle Vinny mm-hmm. are the two characters that he'll play. Yeah. And uh, it's just hilarious. Oh, my God. Totally. There was a Christmas one that came out, so I'm going to have to Oh yeah. pop that up. Oh, so we, I guess we'll be watching that one tonight when we yeah. get off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you never want to watch. You don't find it funny. Well, some of them are funny. The one There was one that was really funny, the one that, uh, because, again, like I experienced it, right? Um, the one where his is it is an aunt and uncle. Mm-hmm. He's playing his aunt and uncle visiting himself, and he just had his backyard redone. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And what was the whole deal with that one? Like the back, he spent all this money doing the backyard, right? How did it go? And then like the aunt and the uncle, they were basically to his face. They were like, "Oh, this is amazing. This is great." But then you know, behind his back, they're like, "What does he mean spending all this money? Who does he think he yeah, is?" Two faced, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it's common. It's very common. Yeah. And so I've heard your parents do that, like with your brother or with your sister or whatever. I'm sure they do it with us too. Yeah. But so I could relate to that one. <laughs> it's pretty funny. They mean well and they love, you know, I know they, they love 
And I think that's the same in any family. It's just, you know, how they're conditioned. Of course, yeah. You know? Of course, yeah. That's totally exactly what it is. When you, when you guys were doing Christmas, did you guys, you guys didn't have any um, immediate relatives in town other than your mom's sister, right? So you guys just did Christmas at your house. You Normally, yeah. There were some cousins. My mom had some cousins in town. Um, and when we were younger, we used to get together with my mom's cousins more often. Right. However, once, you know, once the restaurant took place and we, you know, we got older, we didn't, we didn't really engage with family, right. you know, even though they didn't even live very far from us. Sure. We mostly just kept it, um, our, you know, immediate family and whosoever's boyfriend at the time or girlfriend at the time was coming to join. Yeah. And, and so when, when you and I got together and we started doing the holiday thing, excuse me, I remember we had the, was the, was the Christmas Eve dinner and then we had Christmas Day. Christmas Day was a turkey. Christmas Day was a turkey. And then we would do gifts that night, right? You and I? No, no, no. At your parents' house. We, we did Christmas Eve and Christmas Day at your parents' house. Mm-hmm. And what little gifts went to the kids, right? Right. Right. And then we did the same thing again for New Year's. So there was like a New Year's obligation. Right? Yeah, New Year's was always a huge prime rib. That yeah, prime mom, rib. My mom would cook. Yeah. I love that meal. And it was always at your parents' house. See, when I was growing up, <clears throat> my grandparents, we did we did my mother's uh, parents, my, my grandparents on my mom's side on Christmas Eve night. Then we would come home and it would be super late. And so we would crash out and then we would do our gifts as a family Christmas morning. And then we would have to immediately leave, <clears throat> excuse me, and then go to my, my dad's parents' So my paternal grandparents that same afternoon. So you would have three Christmases right in a row. Wow. Um, huge meal, you know, like Christmas. three meals? Oh, yeah. So so Christmas Eve night was a huge meal and gifts with family on my mom's side. So maternal side, right? And then the following morning, you know, we would do some little breakfast as a family, usually some little small thing, just enough to tide you over. But then we would do gifts, and that would usually start the day pretty early, but then we would have to be to my dad's place or my dad's parents, my paternal grandparents, by around lunchtime, one o'clock, something like that, mm-hmm. right? And so whatever gifts you got, you know, you didn't really have time to enjoy them or play with them because, you know, as a kid, you're being dragged off into the car to go to the next, wow. you know, family gathering thing. And it was it was always crazy because, you know, you talk about the whole, we were talking about the whole, you know, like two-faced side of family or whatever, you know, and like... Uh, my mom hated going to my dad's parents, you know, he didn't, she felt like they were looking down on us and this sort of thing. Cause you know, her family didn't come from money, you know, his family had a little bit of money kind of a thing. So there was always that dynamic there. So in, in, in her eyes, when we were there, we were the poor people. But then when we went to her side of the family where they didn't really have much money, but we had some money, then we were the rich people. Right. And so we were always, no matter where, which place we went, we were the outcasts in, you know, in her mind, you know, mm. and it was always interesting because all we wanted to do was just, you know, spend some time and, and enjoy it. Right. But when we got old enough to understand the politics and the two faced nature of people and how adults are really just kids and grown up bodies, it was really kind of interesting to see that all of the politics playing out, all of the like sibling rivalry playing out, you know, all those insecurities and fears that people have playing out. Because, you know, when you get around family, like you, and I've said this to you before, like you just take on the role that you took on as a child, right? Like, right. Um, you know, because we've done so many Christmases with your family, we've only done a couple of holidays with mine. Like I, when you walk into your house, you know, your mom expects you to serve, right? You're expected to start cooking and, and you're a female child. So you serve, right? That's your role in, in the Italian way of doing things, right? Mm-hmm. And the guys sit around and wait to be served, Right. And it's it's just one of those things that you don't really think about until you, you know, get out of the house and you experience life a different way and you start to see, oh, well, this is it's like this for everyone. Right. And there's a certain amount of, okay, well, what do I need to do to to kind of get along with this person today? You know, Mm -hmm. and so as a child, I remember sitting there once I was old enough to realize, you know, those games that people were playing, those masks that people were wearing. I remember learning to just withdraw because I didn't want to participate in that. 
Uh, so I would withdraw and I would just watch. I would just observe. And so I became the kid that was like, I, you know, on the, on the surface, it looked like I didn't want to be there. But right. really what it was is I just didn't want to participate in the fake niceties. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it was uh, it was definitely an, uh, an education for sure. Yeah, I mean, I like how we don't have, you know, our last few Christmases have been just the, the two of us and creating our Archer Christmas and um, not having obligation to be somewhere. You know, I love being with my family and I miss them and I miss them at this time of year. However, I enjoy not having the expectations and um, just being able to do what I want to do. And I think sometimes people get together and lose sight of the reason, you know, the purpose of Christmas and they get into fights and they get into you know, crazy things happen sometimes at the holidays. And sometimes that's because, you know, you, you get into the room or you get in with your family and, you know, fights break out. And um, we I've been there with my family, you know. So just um, remember it was the last Christmas in Calgary I had a fight with my brother. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so breaking away from, breaking away from that, and making a choice to, you know, sometimes it's not going because it's probably better for everyone if you think that, you know, fights are going to break out or whatever whatever scenario is going to happen. And sometimes it's tough, especially once you get into a scenario where you're eating and drinking and a little alcohol comes into play if there's alcohol. And so it's having a healthy dose and then understanding limits and walking away. Yeah, for sure. But um, I... I just love how we've decided that we're going to have our own Christmas, you know, start to make our own Christmas traditions and be our own family. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think about your story with your mom is like, why didn't, you know, why didn't she just decide? No, like it's Christmas at the Archer household and this is what it's going to look like because I'm going to create it to be that way. You know, and I think sometimes you forget that you can make that choice and just create what you want and how you want it to look. Yeah, totally. That you have that power Yeah. as an individual. I think that's super key, right? Like you talk about creating boundaries, you know, and, and, uh, around the holidays, it, you know, like I mentioned before, it's, in you know, I've spent some holidays with different people and it's funny to watch them fall into the roles that they played as children, whether they're adults or children, you know, fall into the parental role or fall into the, the child's role you know, and it comes down to just not being willing to tell people that you care about, hey, this is my boundary. Like, this is who I am now. You know, I'm not a 14-year-old child anymore. I'm not, uh, you know, or I'm not, you know, the same person that raised you anymore, right? Like, if you're coming from the parental side, it's it's having those boundaries and having the wherewithal to stand in the fire when someone questions you on it, right? Because you have to realize that I think what's so scary about this for so many people is that, the people who grew up with you, right? Um, your brother, your sister, my brother, my parents, right? All the people that I grew up with, they know how to hurt me the most. They know how to push my buttons, right? They know what's going to get me going, right? They know all of my my bullshit that I created when I was a kid. They know all the stupid shit that I've done. They all they know all my selfishness. They know all of it, right? And so if you stand in the fire and you say, well, like, here's my boundary in a way you're risking bringing that up because you're risking that offensive, you know, someone being offended because you're creating a boundary, even though it's healthy for you, you're risking that relationship in terms of them bringing something up that can harm you or hurt you, you know, really, really easily. Right. And it's not that they want to do that per se, but it's like they can do that, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think a lot of people have fear around that. So it, it comes down to, okay, well, you know, I'm just not going to say anything or I'm just going to fall into the role because it's the path of least resistance, right? Right. So at the end of the day, I think what you said is key. It's remembering, you know, it's remembering that you have that power, you know, that you have the power to create those boundaries, however you want them to look. And, you know, coming back to what you want to create for your life or what you want to create for your family or in, or in our case, what we want to create for one another. I love the life that we've created. I really do. Like, and, and, and I say that from, as someone who realizes it's not perfect, right? It's not easy. 
it hasn't always been easy and, and I don't, I don't ask for easy. I just ask for improvement. You know, you and I, we have our spats, you know, we have our knockdown drag outs. We have our, you know, shouting matches, but we also have those moments where we realize, all right, you know, listen, we're getting better at this whole collision thing. Let's collide smarter. Let's collide with a little bit more strategy mm-hmm. and, you know, let's see what we can create on the positive side of that. And so when it comes to us creating our traditions or, you know, standing in the fire, so to speak, or standing up for what we want to create, I think that having that stability, that backing, like I know that if I come to you and I say, hey, you know, this is what's going on for me. Um, this is how I'm feeling that I feel like you're going to be able to back up what I'm experiencing or what I want to create with a principle that we agreed on. It's like, okay, you know, um, I want to set this boundary with your family, for example, or you want to set a boundary with my family, for example. And at the end of the day, if that boundary is not being observed, I can come to you and say, look, this is how I'm feeling because this boundary isn't being observed. I don't want to cause a scene, but by the same token, I don't want to be, taken advantage of or pushed beyond this, this particular, this particular point. Right. And then coming to you and knowing, okay, that you understand that and that you get that and that you're supportive of that is really, really amazing, you know? And it makes me, it draws me closer to you as an individual and as my wife and as my partner. And it also makes me appreciate the fact that we do have the freedom to, like you said, create the traditions that we want to create you know, we can sip whiskey on Christmas Eve and we can wait until the clock strikes midnight and open our gifts. I know. It's 1233. <laughs> I know, right? We're way late. I know. My whiskey's exactly. empty. Your whiskey's empty. So we got to get you taken care of. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. time to probably get to the festivities. Get to the, the festivities. Tree. Yeah. Get by the tree, the fireplace and, and enjoy one another. Awesome. Cool. We can t- certainly do that. Anything else you want to add to the, the Christmas convo? Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Or whatever you celebrate, it's all good. Yes, so with that, I guess we'll jump off, guys. Again, we just wanted to, again, you know, not break the chain, be consistent with the content that we're putting out. I know tomorrow or today is Christmas Day, so you'll receive this on Christmas Day. We'll actually post this tonight. A little bit later. Yeah, a little bit later. And, um, you know, keep with the consistency, but sending all the love to you guys, whatever you're celebrating, whoever you're celebrating it with. I hope that you are, you know, really enjoying yourself, enjoying this time of year. We just passed winter solstice. We've got new year coming up. So you've got a lot of opportunity to take advantage of this temporal, you know, sort of big deal that's happening right now around the first of the year. So it's time to start thinking about what you want to create for the next year. It's time to really plug into what you're capable of creating and become the person that you want to be in the new year. And so with that, guys, Merry Christmas to you. Happy holidays. Um, Get your goals set. Step into the person you want to be. And we will see you in the next episode of Hardwater Radio. Take care.